Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. I'm your host, Josh, and today we are looking at Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 through 3, and helping me with our study this afternoon is my friend and my classmate, again, from the Memphis School of Preaching, Joshua Alexander, who is the preacher at the Foothills Church of Christ in Searcy, Arkansas. Joshua, why don't you tell our audience a little something about yourself? Uh, thanks for having me on, Josh. Uh, I'm a 2021 graduate of Harding University and then a 2023 graduate of the Memphis School of Pre Preaching. So just like a month and a half ago, we graduated and I was with uh, Brother Walker for one year and then he left us to go to Monticello. So. Yes, I did. Uh, what, it wasn't really leaving. I was kind of forced out. Oh, okay. <laughs> Time was time was up and it was time for me to go. But no, I enjoyed uh, my time there. Enjoyed uh, really enjoyed my time that second year uh, with that first year class that Josh uh, was a part of. And you'll we'll see more of his 2023 graduate classmates uh, on this as well. I've already worked some of that stuff out. So um, which is a testament to the class. We'll see the class before me too. Uh, as well, and, and so, uh, but Josh is a uh, was the most outstanding student of that 2023 class, uh, and so uh, excited to have have him on. So thanks for coming on. Like I said, we're looking at Isaiah 59 verses one through three, and just to give a brief uh, context to kind of put us uh, what where we are uh, as far as the passage we're going to look at today. 59 actually runs in correlation with uh, chapter 58. Uh, and I have actually next to uh, this passage, chapter 58 and verse 3, where uh, essentially you have Israel saying, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day you're fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. So that's Isaiah essentially saying, given the attitude of the hypocrisy, it's around fasting. And I'm reminded of Zechariah chapter 6 when they basically come in after the captivity and they say something along, along the lines, should we continue with our fast? The fast that they uh, adopted while they were in Babylonian captivity, and this is the, the nation of Judah. And I think it's interesting that when they ask that question, God simply returns, was it for you or was it for me? And I think we have the same situation here where if you're going to ask a question of God, you better be prepared to receive the answer uh, from the all-knowing, omniscient God. So what else do you have as far as context, Josh? Right. Uh, we have to understand they're worshiping God in a hypocritical way. They're doing it to be seen of men. Same thing that the Pharisees were doing in Jesus's time that he addressed in Matthew chapter six and uh, Isaiah chapter one calls out the exact same attitude that he's discussing in Isaiah 59. Absolutely. And, that, and that's a great point. So Isaiah in, in here in verse one of 59 is going to set out to answer that question. Remember of Isaiah 53, have we, why have we fasted? And you see it not, why we humble ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it. 
So he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear dull or heavy that it cannot hear. What do you have there on verse 1? So one thing that is common in verses 1, 2, and 3 is Hebrew parallelism. You have the same idea repeated twice. He says, His hand is not shortened that it cannot save, his ear not heavy that it cannot hear. We're talking about the power of God. Okay. The reason why they're not going to be delivered from Babylonian captivity is not because God can't. It's not that he's not powerful enough to do so. It's that their sins have caused this. They've separated themselves from God, and they're going to reap what they've sown. And the first part there where it says the Lord's hand is not shortened. Again, this is a reference to his power, to his strength. We can imagine one who's on a boat, who's fallen off of the boat, and the guy on the boat turns around to go save him, and he reaches out his hand. And when God reaches out his hand to save, it's long enough to grab and to save. It's not about God's power. It's about his willingness to save this hypocritical group of people, this apostate nation of Judah. Uh, a couple references I have here is from Numbers chapter 11, verse 23. Uh, one thing that I like to do in Bible marking is the, really the only thing that I like is cross-references, definitions, and better translations. Those are de definitely the three things that I look for. Um, in Numbers chapter 11, verse 23, you have a picture where God has told Moses he's going to feed the children of Israel. And Moses is like, there's a lot of people here that you're going to have to feed. Are you going to kill every bird of the air and every fish in the sea? And God asked Moses this kind of question, is my hand short? You know, am I not powerful enough to feed all of these people? Well, the question, the answer is, yeah, he, he can and he did. And then uh, Exodus chapter 15, verse 6, I have referenced here also talking about uh, Moses' song of praise to God after he led them out of Egyptian captivity, where he says, thy right hand, O Lord, has become, has become glorious in power. Yeah, we're talking about God's power here in his hand. That's, that's, that's excellent, excellent. Uh, and I, I like the cross-references that you brought out. Um, as far as 59 goes, the, the entire chapter gives us a overview of sin uh and i'm just going to give you this we're going to come back to one but just so you have it uh verse one i put sin separates go down to verse seven i put sin dominates and then you go down to verse 18 sin humiliates and i believe that was the truth for today uh commentary um but i like how you pointed out that one the the boat example uh the capability of being saved is there. The hand is right reached out, but it's a point that you have to be able to grab the hand. Uh, I try to put myself in the audience's shoes. And in this instance, uh, we know that the audience would have had, uh, at least they have the prophets uh, speaking to them, but they also have the Pentateuch. Uh, the first five books of the Bible, written by Moses. They have that. And in it, so they have the very beginning of, of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, he spoke into existence everything there is with a word, out of nothing. 
Right. And so to ask the question, we fasted, does he not see it, even though he's omniscient? And we have humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it, even though he's omniscient. The, they're explicitly saying God's not seeing what we're doing. Or they're implicitly stating that he sees it, but he's not powerful enough or capable enough to do anything about it, is essentially what they're saying. And the point being is, is that because they had that understanding, because sometimes I think when we look at the creation, because of the song and because uh, it's usually something that we teach our children very at the beginning of when things were created and the order in which God created and so forth, sometimes we may take for granted just truly how truly how truly spectacular the power of God is creating everything that there is when there was nothing. And I can tell you that at least from personal experience that I have never had a problem or a difficulty in which I needed to rely upon God that required him to speak something into existence from nothing. And so to question the capability of God in this instance is telling to, like you said, their philosophy. Mm -hmm. Comparing them to the Pharisees is probably a great way uh, to illustrate the state of mind that the people had here in uh, the days of Isaiah and to his audience. And uh, verse 58, just that arrogance for lack of a better term to maybe it's ignorance but i think more so arrogance to ask that question and imply the things that they implied when they said that uh not only shows the shortcoming on their selves but where their minds at uh, right. their minds were on themselves they weren't on it wasn't on god and like you mentioned from a fasting standpoint they were doing it to be seen a man they were doing it for the wrong reasons and that's where the hypocrisy, and we'll talk about hypocrisy here in just a minute, but that's where the hypocrisy comes in. You're not doing it for the right reasons, yet you're calling on God to act uh, in that way. So excellent points. you have anything else for verse one? Well, like um, you were saying before, it seems like they wanted a pat on the back for doing what they're supposed to do. Like, have you not seen, you know, all these things that we've been doing to worship you? And I can't help but think about, you know, the Christian in the 21st century saying the same thing. You know, does God not see how many times I attend worship and how much I study and pray? You know, why isn't my life perfect? It's like, well, you want to pat on the back for doing, you know, what we're supposed to do? I don't, I don't know. It's kind right. of interesting. That's an excellent point. I was studying 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. You know, the grace of our Lord Jesus, although you were rich, yet for your sake you became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. And there John, or I'm sorry, Paul, uh, gives like a tear of generosity uh, to Corinth. So he's writing the church of Corinth. He starts off verse 8, um, or chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians uh, with the church of Macedonia, a, a congregation that was in poverty, but they begged for the opportunity to help the church at Judea, and they gave beyond their means, right? And so Paul sets that bar for them. And then in verse 9, he gives the generosity of Jesus where he raises that bar. Oh, on top of that, here's Jesus who left 
who gave up the riches of heaven, the highest glory of heaven, and came to this earth. And then at the end of that chapter, he tells them, I'm not asking you to give to the point of poverty. I'm just asking you to give out of your abundance. And, right. and, and he throws that comparison there. And like you said, the point being is, is that if God asks us to go into destitution for him and his service, it's still a small price for us to pay in comparison to everything he's done. You know, and, and the point of that spirit being the fact that he sent Jesus uh, to take care of the problem that we created uh, as humanity uh, with sin. So uh, excellent, excellent point. Anything else on verse one? Right. So in the second part of verse one, there's an interesting discussion to be had that um, I, I, we didn't talk about it before. So I don't know how you uh, view this verse, but I know that there's a lot who look at the last part where it says in his ear heavy that it cannot hear in discussion of the sin of Israel. God's not hearing their prayer anymore. When they cry out and say, deliver us from this captivity. He's like, I'm not going to hear that prayer. Well, does that mean that God can't hear the prayer? Well, no, we know that he has the ability to hear, but he hears the prayer of the righteous in first peter chapter 3 verse 12 it says for the eyes of the lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayer for the face of the lord is against them that do evil i don't think this has to do with the covenant relationship that they're in i think this has to do with their hearts so like when i hear people sometimes use this verse to say well you know when we sin God's not hearing our prayer anymore. Well, if that's the case, when we're Christians, how are we going to ever be forgiven? How can we ask God to be forgiven? I think this has to do with the heart of the apostate nation of Israel, not necessarily whether or not they're in covenant with God. So I'd like excellent. to see your take on that. No, excellent point. And I agree with you 100%. I'm reminded of Jeremiah 11:14, and then again, Jeremiah 14:11, where God tells uh, Jeremiah, don't pray for these people. Right. Uh, it wasn't because he didn't want it. It wasn't because he lost benevolence or love for him. It was because they weren't in a, in a proper position. He couldn't. Jerem, a prayer would have proven. Uh, he wasn't going to be able to deliver them from the consequences of their sin. Mm -hmm. But then you go to chapter 29 and he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans of, of a future and of welfare and so forth. And then after that, he says, and you will come you will seek me you will pray unto me and he says and i will be heard and i will be found by you mm -hmm. and then at the very end i believe it's verse 13 it might be 12 uh but i believe jeremiah 29 verse 13 he makes the point and you will do it with all your heart and that goes all exactly exactly what you're saying that you know you and i can offer up prayers but if our sincerity is tainted and, and it's possible you can offer up a prayer with selfish motives um i believe in your notes uh, and i apologize if it, well first john chapter 5 and verse i believe it's 14 uh we pray uh but we pray according to his will he's going to grant it to us uh and and i think sometimes we pray with the mentality of i'm praying to god to convince God to bend to my will. 
and I'm going to use that as a lack of a better term, if that makes sense. When the reality is, and James would, James Four would touch on this too, the reality is, is when we pray to God, our prayer should have the mentality of, and, and he says in Philippians 4, 6, uh, and First Peter 5, 7, cast your cares on him because he cares for you, Philippians 4, 6, uh, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let even your requests be made known to God. So there is that sense of prayer that we are to offer to God everything that we want, everything we desire, everything we need. But we have to do it with an attitude of thy will be done. And whatever your will is, I'm going to submit it. And I think you're absolutely right. I think the prayers of this group calling out to God, seeking salvation, was not in the interest of God's will being done, but in their own personal self-interest. And so there, because of that, his ear became heavy to what they were saying. And his face turned from him, like you said. Right. Um, I like to look at the comparison between First uh, John five sixteen, where it says, If any man see a brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, and I do not say that he should pray for it. There's two different kinds of sins here being discussed in First John chapter 5. The sin that is unto death and the sin that's not unto death. The sin that is unto death, he says, don't even pray for it. Well, 1 John 1, 9 says that uh, if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us. So which is it? Is it a sin that we can confess and be forgiven of, or is it a sin we shouldn't pray for? Well, it has to do with if we're willing to confess the sin. It says, if you confess the sin, then he is faithful and just. It has to do with our hearts. Mm -hmm. The sin that's unto death is a sin that we're not willing to repent of, you know, and the same is true for the apostate nation of Judah. Uh, their sins have separated them from God. They're not willing to repent. They're being hypocritical. God says, stop praying to be released from, to, to not get out of Babylonian captivity. It's going to come. It has to happen. You're, you're right. too far gone at this point. Excellent. Excellent. Anything else on, on verse one? I think that's what I have. Man, that's that's great stuff. Verse two, but and and any time and the word but's a huge word in Bible study. because um, it draws a contrast. Uh so here he is in verse one. It look, God's not incapable and God's not unknowing. He knows exactly what's going on, and he's more than capable of doing whatever needs to be done to rectify the situation. But but here's the true bottom. Your iniquities have, set, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And so now Isaiah the prophet has shifted. He, he's taken the problem. Here's the, here's the root of your problem, Israel. It's not God. It's not his incapability. It's not his omniscience. It's not the fact that he doesn't see the issue is you. Your iniquities uh, have have created that separation. Um, I put Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 next to this, as well as 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. And you may have those as well. Where essentially uh, the Hebrew author and Peter just make the point that God is not only capable of helping his people, but he's also extremely willing to help his people. If, if his people want his help, 
and we talked about it the last episode recorded with John Exum, uh, and we made the point we were looking at uh, Jeremiah chapter uh, 29, verses 11 through 14, and he talks about welfare. And in, I believe it's verse 7 of Jeremiah 29, uh, God basically makes the point that when he's writing to the exiles that are going to go into Babylonian captivity, and he tells them, go willingly, and when you get there, pray for the welfare of the city that you are in, because their welfare is where you will find your welfare. Uh, and we made the point in the last episode that if... The people, the people from a welfare standpoint wanted it. If I, if I were guessing, the people of Judah from a welfare standpoint wanted welfare in Judah. But Judah was going to be destroyed. God had already said that. He said it's going to be destroyed. Seventy years, I'll let you come back and rebuild. But this is happening. And so, so take your medicine, for lack of a better term, and go make the best of it. But he said, make the best of it, have peace and prosperity, but you're going to have it in Babylon. You're not going to have it in Judah. And I think that's uh, the case here is if we want the omnipotent God to save us, to provide for us, and to care for us, providentially speaking, then we have to do it on his terms. Just like the people wanted welfare in Jeremiah, they were going to have to do it in Babylon on his terms. Same thing here. You want to continue on in your sin, but then you want to turn around and you want to ask God to save you. You want to ask God to bless you. You want to ask God to help make you prosperous, but you're not willing to do it on his terms. And as a result, you're not going to receive it. Everything we do, and this goes back to what you were talking about as far as praying and all that, it has to be done in the manner and the way God prescribes. Salvation is a huge key or a huge issue today. Everyone thinks you can go about whatever way you want and determine your own salvation when the reality is, is God's very specific on what he requires in order for one to reach salvation. Uh, and we have a society, and unfortunately even those in the church, who want to try and take the prosperity God has offered, but they want to take it on their own terms, and it's, it doesn't work that way. And, and again, the people of, uh, of Israel and Judah during the time of Isaiah is a perfect illustration of that. If, mm -hmm. and, and that's why we have passages like this in our Bible so we can learn from it. Not that it was written to us directly, but the principle still applies to us today. So right. learn from their mistake. Try not to make it today. What do you have? You know, Josh, I think about an older couple who's driving down the road and the wife looks to her husband and says, you remember back when we were young and we were driving and we sat real close to each other? She said, how come we don't do that anymore? And he looked at her and he said, honey, I haven't moved. He <laughs> said, if there's a separation between us and God, it's not God who's moved. It's us who's moved. They said, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. You have this division between you and God. Well, how did that happen? Did God leave me? No, you left God. And how did this happen? You did not follow his rule. You did not obey his word. You, know, you mentioned before that they had the Pentateuch. They had no excuse to not be following God. They knew what his word said. And then uh, I have noted here Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9. And it says that he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law even his prayer shall be admonished. 
you know, it, it's, it's not going to be heard and responded to why you've turned your ear away from hearing the law of God. So I, I think, you know, you're right on the money there with the sin and the iniquity that separated them between God and, and themselves. And he's not going to hear their prayer at this point. It's useless to say, save us from this captivity. Yeah, you're not getting out of it. Great illustration. Uh, I've heard it before. It's always funny when I hear it, though. <laughs> but but on the, along those lines, uh, you make the point that when there's separation between us and God, it's not God that has moved, but it's us who has drifted away. And, and a lot of that is... Uh, you know, we want to hold on to the world. The world's the world's drifting further and further away from God. Uh, it did in the days of Noah before uh, God destroyed the earth with a flood. It was pulling further and further away from him. Uh, you see the men like uh, Enoch. Uh, eventually, you know, they leave this world. Uh, Methuselah and so forth. They leave this world and all you have left is Noah and his family that are, you know, obedient enough to get onto the ark but then there's a flip side to that coin that uh is spoken of about god uh in the sense that when we have you know when we have, we have separated ourselves from god and then we've reached that point of of godly sorrow second corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 to the point that that our shame in what we're doing causes us to repent we have in uh, James chapter 4, I believe, it's 9, 10, 8, 9, or 10, somewhere in there. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. He'll come closer. And the, the most beautiful illustration of it is found in Luke 15 in the parable of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son finally reaches that point and starts to make his way back, and, and you, you think of the state in a state of, of hunger, starvation, almost weary, uh, tired and you have this image of that worn out son walking down the road and you you think of his weakness and so forth and how fast he's moving but then jesus paints the picture of the father who is constantly watching when he finally sees him sprinting out to him and i think that's a picture that that's here uh implied here but it's also implied throughout the bible is that when we have finally reach that point where it's more about God's glory than our selfish uh, ambition and it's more about serving God than it is serving ourselves that God moves faster than we move to get back uh, and that's that's a wonderful wonderful uh, illustration you had what else do you have in chapter in verse two uh, just uh First John chapter three, verse four, how sin is a transgression of God's law. Uh, they're, they're given the standard and yet their sin, their iniquity, their transgression of God's law is what separated them between them and their God. And the same applies, that principle applies for Christians today. Uh, when we sin, our sin is what separates us from God. It's not God leaving us, but us leaving God. And that's what I have for verse two. I have uh, underlined that phrase so that he does not hear. I put Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 44 where Jeremiah wrote, you have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. And that kind of goes back to what uh, 
you were saying earlier is is when you offer an insincere prayer to God, uh, that prayer is not going to he hears the prayer from an omniscient, omnipotent standpoint. Right. Uh, but the language here is saying that he's not he's not going to fulfill uh, the request. Uh, they, they serve no benefit because they're not offered in the right uh, space. You have anything else for verse two before we move to verse three? Uh, no, sir. <clears throat> verse three, for your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. What do you have there? Well, again, we have a picture here of Hebrew parallelism. Their hands are defiled with blood and their fingers with iniquity. So if, like with every example of in verses one, two and three of that Hebrew parallelism, if you I like to draw a little line between them so that you can see the comparison. Uh, they have blood in their hands and they've been caught red handed. Uh, there's no getting around the fact that it is their sin that has separated them from God. Uh, one thing that's interesting is to look at what Micah has to say, because Isaiah and Micah are contemporaries. They, they are speaking to the same pe people around the same time period, and they say basically the same thing concerning their sin. And two, verse, two verses that I have here is uh, Micah chapter 7, verse 2, and then Micah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 that both have to do with their iniquity that they've committed, the sin that they have, and the consequences for such sin. Uh, their lips speaking lies, you can compare that to Isaiah chapter 32, verse 6, uh, where it talks about how the vile person will speak vainly, he'll speak vanities. And his heart is going to work iniquity, and he's going to practice hypocrisy. Well, that's exactly what they were doing. And that's why uh, God was angry with them, and they were going to face condemnation because of it. And then the, in Isaiah chapter 1, 29, it talks about how their hands are full of blood. Uh, same picture. Uh, what? How did you view the or it talks about their hands are full of blood and their fingers of iniquity. What is he referring to? I, could, I didn't really get a, a concrete idea about that. Um, well, I, I, on the, I think it's the focus on the Bible or focus, uh, focus on the Bible commentary uh, labeled the blood or your hands being defiled with blood as uh, the guilt. In other words, they were guilty of what they were doing. Uh, the finger... Uh, with iniquity, uh, he made point would represent it. they were unjust uh, in their dealings, uh, and then he would go on and say the lips uh, spoken lies were was a uh, deceit. So they they intentionally were trying to steer people astray, and then the tongue uh, oh, that mutters wickedness was a perversion of uh, the. Um, Things that they were saying so they were taking you know like the Pharisees in the days of Jesus were taking the Word of God out of context to serve their purpose rather than uh, what it was intended um, I have Lamentations chapter 4 verse 14 next to uh, that phrase with blood where it says they wandered blind through the streets they were so defiled with blood and it says that no one was able to touch their garments 
Uh, and, and I think that goes here. I like that you said uh, draw um, a line from the hand is not shortened to uh, the first part of verse 3, where the hands defile with blood, fingers with iniquity, and then the ears cannot hear. Uh, and then I drew a line from that statement to the latter half of this verse. Your lips have spoken lies and your tongue mutters wickedness. And I put this phrase, God's hands and ears cannot and will not participate in what their hands and ears or tongues, sorry, their hands and tongues, uh, what they partook. Uh, and that's that's essentially it. I mean, the, that it wasn't that God wasn't unwilling, but what you were doing, God wasn't willing to participate in. And the things that you were saying were things God was not willing to hear. Uh, and that kind of goes back. And, and then and I have this phrase from a hypocrisy standpoint. Uh, from a hypocrisy, when we commit hypocrisy, uh, we essentially are implying that God is taking part with us or is approving of what we're doing. And so I think we have to understand what true hypocrisy is. Mm -hmm. Hypocrisy, because you hear the phrase all the time, uh, the church is full of hypocrites, right? You know, I'm not going to church because the church is full of hypocrites. Hypocrisy is not the child who walks in the light as he is in the light and occasionally messes up. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the one who walks in darkness like Israel was, yet they were claiming that God was with them. And they were claiming that they, like they did in verse 53, we were fasting. We were fast. They're walking in darkness, yet they're claiming God's with them. Uh, you go to the first century in, in the gospel accounts, and read about the lives of Jesus. And a lot of times when he, what's the word that he uses when he chastises the religious leaders? He calls them hypocrites. Why? Because they're walking in darkness, but they're preaching the fact that God is partaking or endorsing what we're doing. That's true hypocrisy. It's not the child of God who is striving to do his best and occasionally messes up. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is walking in the darkness and, and for lack of a better term, claiming God is walking in the darkness with you. Mm. That's hypocrisy. Uh, because you can walk in the darkness and, and know that you're in contradiction of God's will and not care. That's not hypocrisy. That's just, that's just, I mean, just sin. That's walking in the darkness. But to walk in the darkness and claim that God is there with you, that's hypocrisy. And that's what the children of Israel were doing. And that's the point that he's pointing out. You claim that God's hands should be on you, but your hands are doing what you shouldn't be doing. You're mm -hmm. doing what God doesn't condone. You claim that God should be hearing the things that you're saying, but you're saying things that God doesn't condone. And that's the reason that you have been separated from God. That's the reason you're not receiving the deliverance that you expect. That's the reason you're not re uh, uh, receiving the deliverance that you think you deserve. You know, because you're doing things that are contradictory and you're saying things that are contradictory to God. What do you have? Right, man. That's an excellent point. And I think about um, Christians today. Sometimes we say, well, I'm just such a sinner. Well, are, are you a sinner or are you saved? You know, when we're a child of God, we're no longer sinners. We're saved people who sin occasionally. Huge difference between someone who's walking in darkness and walking in light. 
I think you made an excellent point, excellent point about that comparison. Uh, Micah chapter 2, verse 11, and then chapter 6, verse 12, talks about a man walking in the spirit of falsehood, and he does lie. Uh, same thing that Israel was doing. And then chapter 6, verse 12, for the rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is full of deceit. Uh, same thing that is mentioned here in Isaiah 59, verse 3. And then Isaiah 28, 17 talks about the same thing, how they swept away the refuge of lies. Uh, their mouths had deceit in them. Uh, the seven things that God hates, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, talks about a lying tongue. These are all things that they were participating in, that they were guilty of, and yet... They came to worship and expected to be praised for doing so. They came to worship and their worship was a lie. It was vain and it meant nothing to God. They were hypocrites going through the motions. Mm -hmm. So why would they be surprised when God has separated from them? Right. Yeah, and I read a commentary that, that particularly that phrase, your hands are defiled with blood, um, shows impurity. And we serve a pure God. And you have made yourself impure and therefore you are unholy. Uh, we serve a holy God and you've made yourself unholy or pure God. And you made yourself impure and humanity has to realize, and this is, this is where I think some of the faulty philosophies in religious dogma come in the sense that they, there's not a true understanding of what is required, that holiness is required to have a relationship with God. Not perfection, holiness, right. and and that's a big difference, uh, and and that's what and that's that's what they failed to realize. Israel failed to realize, and and God gave them the opportunity. You have uh, the book of Leviticus: "Be holy, for I am holy," mm -hmm. and here's how you do it. Uh, the priest, in order to go in the most holy place on the day of atonement, had to make himself pure. If he didn't, he would have died. You know, because unholiness cannot be in the presence of holiness. Uh, and so uh, that's the thought here in this thing is you are not in a position to have a relationship with God. Right. The separation is because you have not put yourself in the proper state to have that position. And uh, Isaiah does a great job pointing it out. So what else do you have? Uh, what's interesting about this these three verses is and the chapter before is that this condemnation comes in the hope section of Isaiah where he's talking about the redeemer that's going to come and how you know everything's going to be great in the church they'll be given a new name as he says later on in Isaiah 62 but then in this part they have this really stern condemnation about their worship but it ends at the end in verse 19 of Isaiah 59. We have a different tone where he's now he's talking about the redeemer that's going to come out of Zion. And he's like, well, you know, this separation that you have, it's not going to be a permanent thing. It, there's going to be a new relationship, a new name that you're going to have with God. And it's interesting that we're part of that. You know, we're absolutely part of this new relationship through the Redeemer and that being a Christian and being in the church. 
Uh, so that's basically what I have for verse three. Man, that is that's excellent, and I and I like that you brought up that it's in the hope section, uh, and then you go down to verse. You, you talked about nineteen, mm-hmm. where just verse nineteen, they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun, and the the point Isaiah's making that God essentially is making through Isaiah is I'm going to be successful whether you're on the train or not. <laughs> right. And, and that, that's kind of the, and that's the same for us today. Uh, God's going to bring about his will. God's going to be successful in all that he does. It's a matter of, do we want to be on his side, which with the success or do we want to be against him uh, with those who are unsuccessful? That's, that's really all there is to it. Book of Revelation, uh, we've heard the, the, the adage before that uh, you can read the Book of Revelation and we know who wins the game. Mm-hmm. And, 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 there's, and there's a lot of validity to that thought. The game's been won. It's just a matter of well, do we want to be on the winning team or the losing team? And that's the point that he's making here to Israel. You know, you can either... Humbly submit yourself to God, accept the punishment that he's rendered, take your medicine humbly, and dedicate your life to God and be successful. Or you can continue down your path of defiance and be ultimately be the loser at the end. Right. Uh, so, excellent. you have anything else before we close out? Uh, just that from a practical standpoint, we need to make sure that our worship is not hypocritical that our worship is sincere and that we're not rolling through the motions. We're not living lives in the world that we're coming to God with a changed heart, with a changed mind and willing to be changed. And I think that's so important for us to remember when reading this passage, man, that is a excellent way to close this out. Thank you again, Josh, for taking the time. I mentioned it before mentioning again, though, this is 40, to 45 minutes of your time just to record the podcast, but there are hours of study done uh, beforehand in order to prepare for it. So I appreciate you putting that in uh, for this. Uh, appreciate those listening. Thank you uh, for taking the time to hear what we have to say and, and listen to things we've studied. Uh, like, share, subscribe. Um, check out our social media. Check out the email. If you've marked this up a certain way, let us know about it. If you have any questions, Or if you have a passage or passages that you'd like us to look at, send those to me. Other than that, again, thank you, Josh, for being on, and we are out. Cool, man. Appreciate that.